just uh, loved the presence of the Holy Spirit. Did you, did you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit with us this morning, or was it just me? Um, I just love to be uh, together and have him come and meet with us. Holy Spirit, thank you for coming and being with us. Thank you that you don't leave us alone to be church, but that you choose to come and walk among us and to presence yourself amongst us. We're so grateful. We're so grateful. Thank you. Amen. Okay, so um, I thought I thought the worship was great as well this morning. Chantel, it was just superb. Thank you so much. And the band, just brilliant. Um, great to worship together too. Um, I'm... Um, Going to kick off this morning our summer series. We're now in summer, although we, we had a bit last week, didn't we? But it seems to have deserted us. Uh, we are definitely into our summer series now. And um, uh, we're going to be taking uh, a look in the next few weeks at the first part of the book of Revelation. Um, in fact, we're going to focus in on um, the first three chapters where the risen and conquering Jesus Christ instructs the Apostle John through a prophetic message to write down and send letters to seven churches, seven major churches in the region of Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. Um, have we got the map? Okay, sorry, it's a bit fuzzy. Um, resolution, not great. So... Um, John writes, um, writes down what Jesus instructs him uh, on the island of Patmos. He's in jail, he's in prison, um, but sends the letter out around the churches. I'll probably explain that a little bit more a bit later on. Um, so entitled Letters to His Bride, we're going to take time to hear words of heartache and longing that Jesus pours out over his beloved church. We're going to hear deeply personal, straight-talking letters, not only of encouragement, but also some bare, fairly brutal chastisement. Jesus wrote these letters to lovingly and passionately shock his church back into life and back into a godly way of living. As I've been preparing this, I've come to call them as my dear son letters. Um, my son, when he was growing up, was um, uh, very argumentative, incredibly argumentative. So you, you, um, you really couldn't um, uh, tackle anything with him because he was very good at arguing, very good at putting his point across. So I re and, you know, I'm not great at that. Um, I'm a much more of a pacifist. But um, so I resorted into writing him letters um, in an attempt for him to kind of have maybe some sober, sober moments uh, where he would reflect and perhaps take on some of the wisdom I was trying to um, give him at the time. But my letters were never an attempt to condemn him um, or make him feel a failure or any kind of attempt to get one up on him. 
They were always written out of a deep love and concern that he was uh, going about life in the right way and that he got to grow and flourish in all that he did. In much the same way, although in a far greater, with a greater eternal purpose, um, in these three chapters, Jesus is passionately wanting to see his church be the pure bride he intended it to be, following his ways and his instruction in order for it to flourish and reflect back his beauty into a sin-sick world. And although these letters were written contextually, they were written uniquely to the churches in which they were addressed, they do, however, remain very much a relevant provocation to his church today. I guess if there were to be an overarching challenge that stood over this series as we look at it over the summer, maybe it would be this. If Jesus were to write a personal letter to Richard Green this morning, sharing his observations of All Nations Church, what, I wonder, would its content be? And what would be our response? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that you brought us together um, as your wonderful church, that you choose to do amazing things in it and through it. Lord, would we have open hearts this morning to hear what you have to say to us? Would we have hearts that go on to respond as we hear your heart, Lord God? Amen. Okay, so if we can look at our passage this morning, if you can open up Revelation for me. We're going to be looking um, at chapter 1 through to 2 and verse 7. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before this throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamon, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. To the church in Ephesus, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toils and your patient endurance and and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but I've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Amen. So the book of Revelation, just to give you some background, 
um, was written about 63 years after the death of Jesus, around 96 AD. And it was a prophetic dictation to his apostle John, who was imprisoned at the time in Patmos. It was meant to be written as a circular to be sent around a number of key churches and Christian communities on a well-established mail route um, in Asia Minor. As its heart, Revelation, surprisingly, is a book about revelation. It's about an uncovering, an un a revealing of truth, of heavenly absolutes, an incomparable glory. It's also a book that reveals warnings and insights into things to come. Their revelation in a paragraph. Are you impressed? I can't help wondering on John's response as Jesus instructs him to write what you see. You can just hear John say, really, Lord, you're just manifesting yourself in your full glory, and I have to put that into words. As a consequence, much of Revelation is John's very brave attempt to describe a vision of the glory and supremacy of the risen Christ. A vision of power and authority that is unmatched and unchallenged, that is at times too brilliant and too frightening for the human senses to endure. Verse 17 says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if dead. I'm sure John struggled at times to simply bear what he was seeing. In chapter 1, Jesus is, yes, saying, write down and send to these, these letters to my church that I passionately love and I long to see grow and flourish and spread out into the whole earth. But they first need to be reminded again of who stands among them, their high priest and their high king, whose eyes are like flaming fire, whose feet are burnished bronze, whose voice is like the roar of many waters, who is the first before all things and will remain after all things are gone who rose from the dead and who now holds the keys to death itself. Chapter 1 is Jesus saying, John, before all things, my church needs a revelation of who continues to stand among them. The revelation of Christ may well come wielding righteous fear. And why not? With the presence of sin in this world, we should not be shocked by that. But great truths such as these also bring great confidence in a king who has triumphed over sin and death. And much like an alpha lion amongst a pride, Jesus stands victoriously and unchallenged among his bride. These are not letters 
written by Jesus in an attempt to catch up with his flagging church who need a bit of moral support and fatherly wisdom. No, 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 it's the stern wake-up call that carries with it the sting of consequence. Then graciously bookended by encouragement and promise. In these letters, we have a loving and devoted husband who is jealous for his bride, who longs again for her full attention, for her loyalty and her unrivaled, undying love. He's wanting back her first love. So Jesus says to John, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this down for me. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is Jesus showing real affection. He's already told us that the seven stars are his representatives in the church, that he holds them especially in the palm of his hand. He walks among them as their protector, their guardian, their watchman. He's saying in these opening words, you need to know how much I love and care for you. I love to be around you and in your presence. My passion for you holds no bounds. But then we get to chapter 2. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But I've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. Well done but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Ouch. There's nothing quite like being built up and encouraged only to be floored by some brutal truth. I'm sure we've all been there at times. But much like a good parent, Jesus lovingly affirms before bringing necessary and right correction. I love the way he first makes sure his church remains standing gloriously rooted in his supremacy, is assured again of his presence as he walks among them, holding them passionately in the palm of his hand like a precious thing, praising them for the way they've endured and held firm through hard times. But he also has to address the elephant in the room. In all that you have done, in all your efforts and attempts to guard your faith, to guard the truth, service your faith, build, maintain, and protect yourselves, you've walked away from the very life that first burst from you. You've abandoned your first love. 
You've abandoned it for something that looks amazing on paper, but it really is truly lifeless and sterile. In your zeal to do things right, you have hollowed out and discarded the very core of what set your hearts ablaze. What lit you up like burning torches, my bright, shining city on the hill. How dull you've become. So what to do? Well, Jesus goes on to say, remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Go back to the time of your first love. Revisit it. Stir up the memories. Evoke again the feelings. Take yourself back to the time when all other things faded away and it was just you and me. Look back at where you were and measure it up to where you are now. Maybe some here will have similar stories and memories to mine. I was in my late teens, early 20s. I'd been aware of Jesus virtually all my life. But it wasn't until I finally asked him to take hold of my life and turn it around that I found myself in love with somebody other than the hottest girl in the youth group at the time. I remember feeling lost to the world, caught up by someone who had my undivided attention, had filled me with a deep joy that I'd never experienced before. I remember feeling as if um, I was on a new adventure, but coming home at the same time. I wanted the world to know. I wanted everybody to feel the way I felt to know my Jesus the way I now know him. However, I've had seasons in my life where I've let the love of my life go. I've not tended it, protected it, made time for it, prioritised it, or jealously guarded it. There have sadly been times when I've even abandoned it. Although very much in love with Jesus, am I in the flush of my first love? Honestly, probably not. Does it match his, which is undiminished from the day that he called my name? Certainly not. I am keenly aware that I uh, am and I remain still a work in progress. Is your first love still intact this morning? Or is it just a distant memory of good times past? Has time, life and the world reduced you to a smouldering wick where once your love burned brightly? Jesus, and indeed the righteous brothers, are saying, bring back that loving feeling. 
Let the memories clearly show us that what's, uh, that, that us what's missing and stir us up again. And you know what? The Holy Spirit gets to help us with that. Jesus also calls us to repent. Repent and do the works you did at first. It may or may not be a surprise to you, but losing your first love is in fact a sin. If I'm honest, that came again as a revelation to me as I prepared this preach. But I was reminded of the words that I'd spoken um, nearly 35 years ago on the day I was baptised. I was asked, is, is it your intention to follow Jesus all the days of your life? And knowing that I couldn't do that without the love that I had for him at the time, I confidently said yes. I made a promise before his church to love him with all my heart and, with, and for all of my days. And I know I've fallen short of that many times and I've had to say sorry for that many times. And through his grace and mercy, I know I've been forgiven many times. Because you see, without the repentance of his church as a holy God, he cannot remain where sin finds a home, where the love for him gets relegated to tokenism and the scraps and crumbs after the things of this world have taken the very best of our love and our passions. Loves that are here today and gone tomorrow. His jealousy for his church will not put up with that. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. If the light of his church goes out, he will remove the lampstand from among them. The very thing that allows his church to reflect his glory is his light. Lord, let it not be us. Let it not be us whose light fades and whose light deserts the church. Finally, Jesus calls us to return. He doesn't call us back to anything more than our first love. He doesn't call us to top it or exceed it. Just return back to it. Jude, Jude, it says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Return back 
to the quiet place where you once longed to be, where it was just you and him. Let him fill you again with a joy that you have not been able to find anywhere else since, which spills over into the lives around you. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you a passion again for his word. Ask him again to open your ears to the voice of Jesus that once captivated you and held your attention. Allow your soul again to be impressed with his glory and his majesty. Let your confidence rise again as he leads you with the power and authority. Go after the great vision of supremacy held over your life. Let him woo you once more as your beginning and your end, your first and your last. When I was on holiday in Spain two or three weeks ago, um, we had a amazing little villa. Villa wasn't much, but the view was incredible. We were right up on the mountain, the Andalusian mountains, and looking out across um, the valley in front of us, in the far distance was this, I guess, a mountain. It was huge and sat on the top. And from a distance, it looked like it was snow-capped. But sat on the top was this town that throughout the day, as the sun shone, which it did the whole, the whole time we were there, throughout the day, you just sat. And um, I couldn't take my eyes off at times, this this town, this little city on a hill, um, blazing with light from the reflection of the sun. And I, I, it really spoke to me very powerfully. And even at night, um, as you, you probably can't, can't see it. My camera wasn't great, I'm afraid. Um, but even at night, it, it lit up. You, you saw it still in the darkness. Um, and you saw the little lights come on um, as the evening um, went on. And by the end of the evening, it was bright again uh, in the darkness. And I, I, I really felt that it was a word for us as a church, as a Christian church, that we are um, the light, his city on the hill, that burns brightly, that we reflect his glory. Um, even in the dark times, you know, even in the stuff of life, um, we still get to shine brightly for Jesus. And it's the love that we hold in our hearts for him. It's the love that burns brightly that gets to do that. It's our decision to turn our faces to his and reflect his glory and I just want to challenge you this morning I want to say how brightly does your light shine what is the state 
of your first love. When your first love couldn't be contained, it couldn't be hidden. When you're first in love, those around you know that you're in love. There's something about the look on your face that says there's something special in that person's life. How is that doing? How are you doing with that this morning? How are you burning brightly for Jesus? Why don't we stand? I'd just love to just allow a couple of minutes. We're, we're, we're okay for time. Where we're just quiet before the Lord. We're, we're just allowing the Holy Spirit just to come and be with us. Speak to us. If you feel comfortable putting your arms out, then do that and receive. But it'd just be really great for us just to um, take time together as a, as a family together, but as individuals, just hearing him speak. Just hearing him respond back to where, where is your first love? How is your first love? Does it burn brightly this morning? Does it reflect his glory? Where you may need to just take time just to say sorry, to ask forgiveness, to say sorry, Lord, that my light burns so dim, that my light has gone out for you. Lord, show me, Holy Spirit, show me how I can light up again, how I can bring back the first flush of love, the feelings, the responses to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I'm so sorry where I've let that go, where I've allowed that to grow dim, where I've taken my love and my passions and poured them over other things. Where I've allowed my attention to be on my job and my family and my hobby and my fitness. Where I've allowed the distractions of this world to put out the fire that I have for you, Lord. Lord, we say sorry for that. Show us, Holy Spirit, lead us, Holy Spirit, back to our first love, to that which set us alight. Come and do that this morning. Lord, come and show us again your majesty, your beauty, your supremacy, your power and authority that we get to work out through our lives. Lord, show us it again. 
Help us to come back to it, Lord. Yes, Holy Spirit, thank you that you use us to be light into this world. Lord, would we not neglect that? Would we not use that up elsewhere? Thank you that you bring us together as your church, your great shining city on the hill. Lord, would we come and burn brightly for you? Would we stand out and be the glorious bride that you've made us to be? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.